like to thank everyone uh, this morning for uh, everything you've done, sharing, and uh, thank you, Gary's, for that. It's encouraging to see families and also individuals, so thank you, Gary's, and also Richard's and uh, Mabel and Valida for sharing, and we may have another one here toward the end of the service. If not, we'll have that one next week. <clears throat> this morning, I'd like to talk about a man who may be the most famous man of Scripture outside of Jesus Christ, possibly not certainly one of the most, and we've been studying the Sunday school lessons in Romans regarding faith, and so just thinking about that and thinking about our faith and some lessons we can learn, I think we're going to have some messages on Abraham or Abram, and I might use that name interchangeably, but Abram or Abraham. Abraham was a man who was considered a friend of God. You can read that. I believe it's in Second Chronicles. He's known as the father of faith. And as we go through this, I'd like to look at a number of things as we go through his life, and we're not going to do that all this morning. We'll have several messages uh, looking at different things in his life. First of all, <clears throat> I'd like to look at his origins or his ancestry. This morning, we'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to look at his encounters with God and with men, and we're going to look at some of God's promises. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We'll look at his covenants that God made with him, Abraham's victories, and also his failings. Not everything that is recorded about Abraham is totally positive. Much of it is. And that should actually encourage us to know that even Abraham had failings, and yet God considered him his friend. <clears throat> so thinking about Abraham being the father of faith, I uh, want to think about what can we learn from Abraham as we go through these different messages on his life. Uh, how can we apply what we learn uh, to our actual lives? In other words, we can learn a lot of things about someone. We can learn a lot of things regarding uh, Abraham or anyone else in the Bible, but unless we apply what we learn, it really doesn't do us a lot of good. And then thinking about that, um, how did Abraham know about his God? I want to think about this a little bit to start with this morning. How did Abraham know about this God? So when God called Abraham, or Abram as it was then, uh, to go to Canaan, how did he know who this God was? What, what made him believe that, well, this is the God that I should follow? <clears throat> Excuse me, keep in mind that at this time, we had already had things like the Tower of, Tower of Babel, uh, men had already began to worship other things other than God. There had been falling away. And Abraham comes along and God calls him. And how did he know about his God? One of the things that I think we seem to forget about is, especially in our culture today, in our, in our country, is we have Bibles. We have a lot of Bibles. We have the Word of God. We can read it. We can study it. We know what God said. Well, at the time of Abraham... We don't know of any particular written words from God. Now, there may have been some things written down, uh, history and, and genealogy and so forth. Likely there was. But how did he know this? And how, did, how was some of this passed along? So I'd like this morning to look at uh, a chart here. And depending on what you're watching this on, it, it may be a little small. You may not be able to see it extremely well. If you're watching it on a bigger screen, you can probably see it uh, well, and if, if not, um, I'll try to explain some of that. If you're listening on the phone this morning, uh, 
Obviously, you can't see it, but I'll try to explain a few things about it. First of all, you'll notice there <clears throat> that on that chart, on the one side, is the, the names of these people. And there in the green, it, it's how long they lived prior to having a ch- uh, son. And then the span after that is how many years they lived after they had a son. And then on the right, it talks about how many years they lived in total. Along the top of this chart, you'll notice the, the years starting from... Now, these are not B.C. dates, as thinking about before Christ. These are dates that started from the creation of the world and Adam. And so Adam's day starts at day year zero and moves on progressively from there. You'll also notice a line in there that shows when the flood happened around in the, in the 1600s there. And you'll, you'll see again who, was, who died right before that and then who was living past that and so forth. I'm going to go to another one now that's a little bit closer up that you might be able to see a little bit better. And this one, I condensed some of those lives and brought it down to just a few of them. You'll notice the top one is Adam, and you'll see that he lived longer than what Lamech did. And Lamech lived much of Noah's life, or a good portion of it. And so you had Noah here who could talk to someone who definitely talked to Adam or certainly could have. So it's not like there's this long lost period of time when no one knew anyone. Excuse me. Often we ask this question, why did people live so long back then? Why did they live that long? Why did they live 600 years, 800 years, 900 years? And what must that have been like? Why did they live that long? And I believe one of the things, and there are probably many reasons, but one of the things is that God allowed people to live an extended period of time, I believe, to pass along his message and who he was and what he was about to generations to follow. Now, also in this particular um, slide, you'll notice that Noah then and Shem, who, of course, lived for many years uh, after, after, uh, during Noah's time, Shem, of course, was uh, lived on the ark. He saw the flood. He saw all of that. He knew God's covenants there. <clears throat> Notice that Shem was still living for a number of years. As a matter of fact, uh, Abraham, or Abram as he was, was actually about a year older than I am now when Shem died. So I don't know uh, some extra-biblical writings say that he actually learned from Shem, and we don't know that for sure, and I don't want to say that he did. But there's a strong possibility, especially when he was still in Ur, that he would have actually been able to visit with and talk with Shem, who had been on the flood, who knew Noah, who knew Lamech, who knew Adam, or certainly could have. Their lives overlapped during that time. You'll notice I have Peleg there in that chart as well. He is the one that the Bible says it was during his lifetime that the earth was divided. And some people say, well, that's when the continents actually divided. Others say, no, that's when the actual inhabitants of the earth were divided. And then so would be the Tower of Babel. If that's the case, think about the fact, and certainly these men were alive during the time of the Tower of Babel. So Noah and Shem would have seen the Tower of Babel 
and how people were already moving away from the God that they had tried to proclaim to them. You'll notice there as well that Shem lived actually into uh, Jacob's life as well. So Noah would have been alive during Abraham's life, and Shem would have been alive all the way down into Jacob's life. On that chart there, it's something that's kind of interesting. I don't know if it means anything at all, because Usher's chronology is basically who, where we get the date zero for uh, the, the year of our Lord, the dating that we're in now regarding uh, 2020 and so forth. And, and actually, from the time of Christ, we believe that's actually off a little bit as far as when he was born. But I did find it interesting that from the day zero until the year Abram was born, was 1948. And if you know anything about Israel, uh, that's kind of an interesting date in our time. Israel was reborn in our years, 1948. Whether or not that means anything, I don't know. But I do find it kind of interesting that that date corresponds. Let's look at a little bit now of what I just mentioned here. So Noah died 58 years after Abram was born. Shem died 50 years after Jacob was born. Now, Shem and Jacob, did they ever meet? Not as likely, perhaps, because by this time they were over in a different area of the world, but we don't know what travel may have happened. Uh, Abram was born 297 years after the flood. Now, the reason I bring that up is, so 297 years after the flood is when Abram was born. That's less than 300 years. And if you think about that, from this year going back the other way, let's say Abram was born in 2020, looking back, that would have been the year 1723. And just putting this into my own life, I had to think about the fact that, that there were already Yoders in, the, in the America in that year. And so in that, life, in that time span, uh, from the time of that till now, was the time from the flood until Abram was born, which is not that long, really, if you think about all the things that were happening in the world in 1723. So Abram was not that far removed from something as significant as the flood of the world and would have seen a number of things happening during that time period and in his life as as times progressed. This actually brings us to an interesting verse, and in your Bibles, turn to Genesis. We're going to be reading a number of verses from Genesis this morning. So Genesis chapter 47, there's a verse, a couple of verses here that might mean a little more if you think about the fact, and I'm going to bump back just a little bit to that chart there where we see the, the, uh, all the lives. <clears throat> Notice at the top of that chart how long these people lived. And as you go down that chart, suddenly they get shorter and shorter and shorter until they get to be, oh, maybe 100 years, 110, 180, and so forth. And then, of course, after that, things drop down to about what they've been since then. So in Genesis chapter 47, verses 8 and 9, it says, And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? Notice his answer. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Now, we would say, wow, he's old. But notice what he says. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. Few? 
and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob is recognizing here that at 130, he's not anywhere close to what his fathers, his ancestors were. So he was well aware of the lives and and ages and so forth of history. So if Jacob was aware of that, I'm sure Abram was. Now, in our culture today, and in our world, we think about as we, as we live our lives, we think, wow, the lifespan, average lifespan is, is getting longer, and so we're living longer. Can you imagine being someone who is 130 years old and, and old and thinking about the fact that, well, my great-great-great-great-grandpa or someone lived to be this old and this old, and why is this suddenly changing? Why can't I live to be 500 years older? at least a couple of hundred years old. And so they were aware of this, how the world was changing. But I would like for us to notice something. Did all of these people at, that were in his lineage actually serve God? That's a, a, something to think about. We're going to look at Joshua 24. Um, and, and something we can learn from this is the fact that we can either rise above or we can fall below our heritage. And that's one of the lessons I want you to get from this life of, of Abraham. We can either rise above what we have been given or we can fall below that, depending on where, where you're at. We should always be striving to grow even beyond what we have been given in our heritage our Christian heritage, or if we haven't been given a Christian heritage, certainly we want to rise above that and give something better on to the generations to come. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, it says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood, or on the other side of the river. In old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Now there would be some Jewish tradition and some Jewish teaching that would say that indeed Terah not only served other gods, but may have even made some. We don't know that again. A lot of that's extra biblical writing, but some of it's Jewish history or, or their, some of their traditions have been handed down. But according to this, he would have served other gods. We don't know a lot about that, but again, I want to tell you, one of the things we can learn from that is Abram believed the true God and obeyed him, even if his father was not doing that. And so we can either rise above or we can fall below what we have been given. I want to go back now to Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to look about Look a little bit at the call of Abram and how he first left Ur, the Chaldees, and then how he moved on from there. So in Genesis chapter 11, verses, uh, starting at verse 27 through 32, it says, Now these are the generations of uh, Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. So at the time he was born, they were still living back in Ur. Ur, by the way, was a wealthy city. It was very well advanced. It, was, it had a lot of things that, that are common to us today even. 
and considering how soon after the flood that was, it's pretty amazing. And so they actually left there. But in verse 29, it says, And Abram and Nahor took them wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren and had no children. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. <clears throat> so for some reason, Terah never moved on to Canaan. He stops at Haran. And I got a couple of little maps here that show you a little bit about that journey. Uh, these maps I did not make, and, uh, but you can see there a little bit the journey there. And I've got another one here that you can see as well. Gives you a little bit of an idea of, of where he traveled to and how they went up uh, to the north. And then they came to Haran, and that's where they stayed for a number of years until we go to the next chapter. And in the next chapter, chapter 12, I'd like to read verses 1 through 9. It says here, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. If indeed Terah was not serving the true God, this could be one reason why he says, Don't take them with you. Get out. Get away from them. And I will make thee a great nation. Now start noticing the promises here, and we'll come back to these in a little bit. I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and I make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Notice obedience. A lot went out with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's wife, and all their substance, and they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. Into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there, there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. I'd like to also take a look at uh, a couple of verses in Hebrews. Keep your thumbs there in Genesis. We'll be back. But in Hebrews, in chapter 11, I'd like to look at um, a couple of verses. Where it's in uh, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abram, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed. Notice that, by faith, Abram obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then it says, through faith also Sarah, and it talks about that. But notice here it says, for by, he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He wasn't looking for something that had earthly foundations. He was looking for something that was built by God. And so because of that, God said he had faith. 
Now, I don't know what God may have called you to do that you're scared to do. Maybe God has asked you to do something in His kingdom that you're like, I don't think I can do that. I, I, that, just, that looks too big to me. I, I don't know if I can go there. I, I don't know if I want to go into a mission somewhere. I don't know if I want to do this or want to do that because I, I'm just not sure if God's going to go with me. Is God going to help me? Is God going to be there and strengthen me? You might say, well, I don't know of any call on my life. I don't know that God has given me any particular call. But here's one thing to think about. If you read the New Testament, especially, God calls you to do many things. God calls you to witness to the lost. God calls you to love your neighbor as yourself. God calls you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God calls you to to just share the gospel with others. God calls you to be obedient. And so there are a number of things that you can do that God has called you to do, even if it's not something uh, specific, like going to some specific place or something. Also keep in mind that sometimes we can uh, confuse our own desires for God's call. I don't know that Abram had a desire to go to Canaan. God called him to go there. But sometimes we, we have something we want to do. It's on our agenda. And so then we just try to come up with signs and so forth to believe that this is God calling us to do that. Be careful about that. Spend time in prayer Ask others if this is a good thing to do, and by faith then move out if indeed it is. Let's take a look now at God's promises to Abram, and I'm going to look at uh, the first ones here we looked at in in chapter 12, the first uh, three verses there. The first one was, I will make thee a great nation. In other words, you're going to have a lot of children, and they're going to have children, they're going to become a great nation. The next one there is that, I will bless thee. And if we, indeed, um, if we indeed follow and obey God when he calls us to do something, he will bless us. Now, he blessed Abram financially. For one thing, if you look over in chapter 13, it says that Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Obeying God isn't necessarily going to make you rich. That's not the point, but it will make you rich spiritually, and God will bless you in those ways. He says, I will make thy name great. Now, we don't go out looking for a great name. We don't want to, to be known. That that's, would come across as being proud. However, we do want to have a name that is, is honorable, that people respect who we are. Thou shalt be a blessing. God wants you to be a blessing to other people. If you move out in faith, you can bless other people. He also says that I will... Uh, curse them that curses thee. Now, I don't think that's w- w- something we want necessarily. But in Abram's case, God said, if you curse me, I will curse them. And you can see that throughout history, and you will continue to see that throughout history. It says, in thee, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I believe there are different ways that has happened throughout history. But primarily there, I believe he's, that's a foretelling of Jesus Christ coming through his lineage. Let's look at some of the other uh, ways that God expounded on, and that word expounded may be a bad word there for that, but but it continued to extend these blessings and show these blessings. Turn to chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. It says, The Lord said unto Abram, after the lot was separated from him, this was after that whole dividing, who's going to go where, uh, lift up thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest, 
To thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that no man can number the dust of the earth. Then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it. I will give it unto thee. And Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the land in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. You'll notice different times. We'll talk about this in a moment, how Abram obeyed, he was blessed, he had promises, and he uh, built an altar. He worshiped God. Going over to chapter 15, and we'll probably look at this chapter in a later message, likely anyway, but look at verses 4 through 6 here. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that cometh forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Speaking of Eliezer. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now in Romans we've been studying about uh, faith, and we've been studying about righteousness, justification. And in Romans it's very clear that by faith we are justified or made right. It's counted unto us for righteousness, our faith in God. God's sacrifice, Jesus Christ, His Son, is counted unto us for righteousness. That's justification. And so here, he was justified because he believed God. Now, James takes that and says, now let's flesh that out a little bit. What did it look like? Well, James said, you can say you have faith, but if you don't do anything about it, if you don't believe, if you don't actually go out and do something, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And so his faith, not only did he believe, but his faith caused him to do something. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 17, and we'll look at verses uh, 1 through 7 there. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and the kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto them, to thee, and to thy seed after thee. You'll notice that the word covenant, my covenant, it said my covenant in this passage, is at least, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times it's used. That God talks about my covenant. Not necessarily your covenant, but my covenant. Now the name Abram meant exalted father or family of many, and Abraham means father of a multitude. Now, I don't know uh, what you think, how you would have felt, but if you didn't have any children and your name meant father of many or exalted father, you probably would be like, oh, I wish I had a different name. Oh, for a different name. Something that didn't, you know, when I go to someone and they say, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm Abraham. Oh, how many children do you have? Well, I don't, really don't have any. Oh, that's wonderful. And back then, names meant a lot. They, they wasn't just like, you know, Tom or Fred or uh, Ralph or whatever it might be today, or Terrell, it just, well, that's your name. Back then, it meant something usually. And so, can you imagine when he changed his name from Abram to Abraham? So, someone says, uh, so I hear you changed your name. What did you change your name to? Fatherless? 
No, I changed it to Abraham. Seriously? Um, so you must have had a lot of children since the last time I saw you. No, I really haven't. Well, then why are you changing your name? Well, because God told me to. God told me to. Notice, God tells him to do something, and he does it. And you'll notice that it's because my covenant, my covenant, my covenant. And here's where the covenant of circumcision comes in. And so, indeed, God was working with him, talking with him as, as he went through life. His first real test was moving out of Haran and, and leaving his father and his and family and so forth. And as he goes along in life, God continues to give him more tests and more trials. And God does that for us as well. That's, that's the way God works. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And these, by the way, are not all the promises that God has given. But I've been looking, I just want to look at some of these so we can see God working in his life. 22 verses 15 through 18 says, An angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn unto, saith the Lord, and for because thou hast done this thing, and thou hast not withheld thy son, this is after the offering of Isaac, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies." Verse 18, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast, what? Obeyed my voice. Again, this trial didn't come the first time God talked to him. Your biggest trial won't come the first time God takes you through something. It won't come the first time God asks you to go somewhere. You might be saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I just went through this, or I just went through that, or I'm going through this. You're telling me this may not be the biggest thing? This may not be the, the, the big trial I'm going to go through. It may not. It may not be. It might be, but it may not be. But in each one of those things, we are to learn, and we are to grow, and we are to become more like Christ, and we are, to more, we are to learn from each trial we go through and each struggle that God brings into our life. In Genesis chapter 26, verses 2 to 5, it says, And the Lord appeared unto him. Now, this is talking about Isaac now. And the Lord appeared unto him. He said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto who? Abram, Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thee and to thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." Because, notice why, he's talking to Isaac now, but look what he said. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, this is before the laws of Moses, but there were statutes, there were laws. And again, I go back to this whole thing. What all had been passed on to Abraham? How did he know all these things? But he did obey what he knew, and he obeyed God's commandments, his statutes, and his laws. And because of that, Isaac is being blessed. And that's one of the things that, that I would like to encourage you to think about is the fact that as you obey God and you obey uh, what he's asked you to do, calling on your life, being obedient to his word, to his statutes, to his laws. To, and I, we're talking now about the New Testament things. We're not talking about being under the Old Testament law, but under the statutes that God has given us today. As you obey those things, you live them out, you move out in obedience, you worship God, then 
God will bless you, and that can be passed on to the next generations. I want to think a little bit now about promises to us. I uh, put up there John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise. Whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. I'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians and look at some promises there that God has given us. 2 Corinthians, as we think about God's promises, God's, the Word of God is just full of promises that, that He has given to us. Now sometimes, and I think we're all a little guilty of this, we go maybe back into the Old Testament, we pull out a promise completely out of context that it's, it's set maybe as a promise to the nation of Israel or uh, to some person in particular, we pull that out and we, we, you know, we put it on a little board or we tack it up somewhere, we you know, put it somewhere, that was, and, that, and that's, that's our promise. Well, that's okay as long as it's applicable, and often they are, but God, even in the New Testament, has loaded it up with promises for the believer. Notice this one here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want to start reading. Um, and if I go to 2 Corinthians instead of 1 Corinthians, it'll make a little more sense to all of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So maybe you're going through a tough time right now or a tough situation or maybe even this whole coronavirus thing has you, uh, maybe you're anxious about it or maybe you're just frustrated about it or maybe you're, you're, you're not at work right now and, and you're, you're struggling with this thing. Notice here, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, but for a moment, work with a far more exceeding weight, something that's, that's much greater for glory if we hold on, if we wait. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, we have a promise here I would like to look at. In 1 John chapter 3, and we'll look at verse uh, 2, where it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's, that's the promise right now. We are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's an amazing promise that we shall see Him as He is. Let's look at some other promises just as, as we go down through here. First of all, the fact that God has promised He's coming again. Read the book of Revelation if you want promises for the believer. It, it's just chock full of them. Uh, he will never leave us nor forsake us is a promise that I believe we can hold on to. Uh, he will not uh, allow us to be tempted above what we are able to withstand or what we were able to bear. That's a promise that God has given to us that I think we can... We can uh, just hold on to that whatever test, whatever trial, whatever temptation you're going through, God is not going to allow something that you cannot bear through His strengthening Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, and by being faithful. Let's look at God's promises and our trusting in Him, as in uh, how Abraham did. So first of all, if we think about our trust, uh, our faith must include obedience, doesn't do any good to say you have faith. Uh, we would not know Abraham as a father of faith if when God told him to leave his kindred and leave Haran, head to Canaan, 
If Abram would have said, oh, well, I believe you, God. I believe that's a wonderful thing. I believe that would be good. I, I believe that, and, and I believe whatever you say, and then he stayed there. What about if when God asked him to even sacrifice his own son, if he would have said, well, God, I know you could raise him again. So I, I really do believe that. So we'll just leave it at that. We don't have to do anything about it because we're just going to believe that. Well, it must uh, include obedience. And our in in obedience then must include action. And action will include worship. And I mentioned earlier to notice that when Abram would go from one place to another and God did something in his life that he would build an altar and sacrifice. He would sacrifice and he would sacrifice. What was that? It was worship. He was worshiping God. But what came first? His faith or his trust in God, his action, moving out and actually doing something, his obedience, doing something, and then he was able to worship. He didn't worship God first and say, okay, oh God, yes, I believe you, I worship you. I'm going to build a sacrifice. And then when I get done with that, I'll consider obedience. So as we think about God's promises in our worship, God gives us instruction, gives us that in His Word, and, and, he, and as we read His Word, He illuminates that, that to us through His Holy Spirit. And so faith and obedience then work together. And I would ask this question, which one comes first, or does one produce the other? So uh, faith and obedience, they work together. Does, does, do you have one first and then the other? Does the obedience come and then the faith? Or do you have faith and then the obedience? Does one bring about the other? I think they work together, and they don't work separately. And only then can we worship. Only when that happens can we worship. Now, how may God bless your trust? And I alluded to this earlier. I'd like to look at this a little bit. He will bless you. God will bless you spiritually and in other ways as well, often, if you're willing to trust Him and obey Him. That's the way God works. And you will be a blessing to others. If you follow through with the call on your life, whatever God is asking you to do, through faith, through obedience, and loving Him, and doing what He asks you to do, it will be a blessing to others. Now, you may frustrate some people in the meantime. If you go out and you witness, and you share the gospel... Some people aren't going to like that, and you may frustrate some people. If you go back and you take a look at the, the prophets of the Old Testament, they didn't always make friends. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes they frustrated people, but they were also a blessing to many. You can be a blessing to others, to your family, to your neighbors, to people you share the word with, whatever it might be that God has asked you to do. And your faith will be increased by obedience through trials. And I want to look at some of those things in some of the other messages on Abraham. How he, some of the things that he did and how that strengthened his faith and, and allowed him to move on and to bless others, continue on in faith and move on to the next trial, the next thing that God brought into his life. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to think about what God may be calling you to do, how might you obey that? If you're not sure what God's call on your life is, we do know that there are many things in the New Testament that are a call on your life if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, 
Maybe there are young people, children, someone watching this morning, someone listening this morning that's not a believer in Jesus Christ. And in God, I tell you, believe in Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and give your life to Him because He will bless you. He will bless you, and you will become one of His, and you can worship Him in true worship, in spirit and in truth, if you trust and put your trust in Him. And if you're going through a trial right now or something that's really frustrating to you, Look at it as a way that God is helping you to grow and to rise above and to become an even better Christian God's calling you to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the example of Abram and Abraham and just how he obeyed you. God, I pray that you will help us to truly obey you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray for each one now, again, that's at home. Bless those that have been with us this morning, one way or another whether on the phone or the live stream. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to serve you, that you would give us opportunities to share your word with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.